Welcome to Rex's Bible Minute, a weekly video where I talk about Jesus, Christianity, and anything along those lines. We are in week number eight of our Bible study in the book of First John. Um, we're getting towards the end of it. These are not very long letters, and this one's the longest of the three, so uh, we should be moving pretty quickly as we finish up these Johannine letters. Um, we're in chapter four. We're going to be doing verses one through six today. Um, it's kind of like part two of last week's. Um, if you remember from last week, we talked about how do we determine who is part of our family? How do you determine who has the DNA of the family of God, to put it in kind of modern terms? How do we determine who's one of us, who is truly part of our family and who isn't? Um, and the whole point was if you deny that Jesus really is the Son of the living God, they really did come in flesh that he really is, uh, lived that perfect life, that all those things that we consider orthodox doctrine, which we will talk about in a little bit, then you're not really one of us because that's the core belief of a Christian. And all that has to be summarized in the way you live your life. That was kind of last week's message was, you know, you have to believe the right things uh, for the most part, the essential things. We have liberty in certain things. We're going to talk about that at the end of today's message. But um, you, you also have to, it has to show up in your life. You have to, you know, you have to love your brothers and sisters and not just words, but in, in your actions and actually showing them love and affection and that kind of stuff. So um, as always, let's let's recap uh, who we're talking about. That way we're, we're plugging ourselves in. Um, this, was, this letter was written by John, the apostle, the one who was there in the Gospel of John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote the Revelation of John. Um, we, he's the guy who, uh, who, was, who was there when Jesus from the cross pointed at him and said, hey, take care of my mom. So he's, you know, somebody that Jesus thought a lot about. Um, and he's writing towards the end of the first century. He's writing from Turkey, um, southwest Turkey in a city called Ephesus. Um, and he's writing this kind of the same way the Ephesian letter was written as a, as a circular to be passed around amongst believers. And he's writing to a group of Christians who are, you know, second and third generation Christians at this point. A lot of them are. this, So they can start to just kind of, it's, it's part of their identity, part of their culture, not really something that's like they're, they're part of a movement kind of deal, um, even though Christianity is still just in its early stages here. Um, and so he was fighting against those Christians, allowing the cultural beliefs to kind of weasel their way into Christianity and warp it and distort it and make it something that truly isn't Christianity. So that's what he's writing against. And as always, his writing style is very repetitive and very unique. I personally love it. Um, he's he's very intelligent in the way he does this, but he'll say, here's topic A with a little bit of topic B, and then he'll go topic A plus B with a little bit of C, and topic A plus B plus C, and a little bit of D. So it's very repetitive, and he always comes back to love. Love is almost always topic A in that pattern. And so... We have to talk about last week so that we can talk about this week. So we already did that. So let's get into this week's message. Let's uh, let's look at what John has for us in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Rather, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Many false prophets, you see, have gone out into the world. And this is how we know God's spirit. Every spirit that agrees that Jesus the Messiah has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. The spirit is actually the spirit of the anti-Messiah. You have heard that it was coming, and now it is already in the world. But you children are from God, and you have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and that is why they speak from the world, and why the world listens to them. We are from God. People who know God listen to us, but people who are not from God do not listen to us. This is how we can tell the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. 
And so before we break that down, I really want to, let me give you three examples of what John is talking about from real history. Um, but before I get into that, uh, I don't mean to be offensive with any of these, all right? If, if you're somebody who's watching this somehow for some reason, um, and you are, you ascribe to any of these two of them, really, their faiths, I, I don't mean this to be offensive. I don't mean to, to critique your heritage, your, your religion, like I, Jesus tells us to love our brothers and sisters in, in humanity, um, let alone our brothers and sisters in Christ. So if, if I don't mean to be offensive with this, but I have to speak truth. Um, and th- these, are, these are clear examples of what John was warning against here. All right. So the first one, and probably the most controversial one, was the prophet Muhammad. Um, if you're unaware, Islam was started by a guy named Muhammad who lived in the 600s AD, uh, about 600 years after Jesus, um, down in the Arabian desert. Um, and it started with him getting a visit from an angel, an angel Gabriel. And if you read the account... Um, the angel brought him a copy of the Quran, Islam's holy book, and forced him to, to memorize it and repeat it three times. Now, I don't confess to be an expert on Islam or anything like that, um, but he had a visit from a spirit claiming to be from God that forced him or told him, depending on how you understand the story, uh, to memorize a book that explicitly denies Jesus is the Son of the Living God, born of the Virgin Mary, here among us, like they, they denied Orthodox doctrine in it. Um, part of that is a cultural thing, um, but again, I don't, I'm not, I'm not an expert on Islam, but there was a cultural thing where um, the sons of God were were thought to be literal sons, like there was, you know, relations happening in the offspring, kind of like Greek, you know, Greek deities or semi gods. Um, but that there was a misunderstanding with, with underst- what, what the Son of God, that term meant. But regardless, uh, this is an example of a spirit who is claiming to be, you know, from God, teaching something that was very anti-God, anti-Jesus. So this, this was not a spirit from God, and it resulted in an entire religion that pulls people away from Jesus. The next one I want to talk about is a guy named Joseph Smith. If you're unaware, Joseph Smith uh, was the guy who started Mormonism. If you talk to a Mormon, um, most of them are very nice people, uh, work very hard. They embody that American value, uh, or at least the old American values of family and hard work and the American dream. Um, but they uh, they teach some things that deny Jesus. Uh, the story of Joseph Smith starting it was he was visited by an angel called Morani, and Morani told Joseph Smith, hey, outside on your property in upstate New York, there's these golden tablets, and these are these extra parts of the Bible that we don't have. I need you to go find it. And he went and he found these boxes in 1823, and he was directed to translate them with his special umim and thumim, if you read about that in the Old Testament, um, which were a, a pieces of glass connected by a wire attached to his hat, glasses, Um and he translated these these golden tablets, and he was the only one allowed to see them, even though he later claimed 10 other people had verified them. But he was the only one who was allowed to read them. Um, and actually, the guy that was writing down his translation of it, uh, that guy's wife took the translation and said, okay, if this is real, go back and have him do the same thing tomorrow. And oh, oh my goodness, here's a new translation. Like, you couldn't repeat the, the feat. Um, and so... 
uh, we we have this angel visiting this guy in the 1800s, early 1800s, and saying, "Hey, this is this new thing that's that's you know this is God's next thing." If you read the Book of Mormon, it's it's crazy, um, but it teaches things that are very anti-orthodox Christianity. Uh, he, it teaches that Jesus was just a man who became a god, um, that he had to convince his father, the god of this planet, uh, to go with his plan over his brother Satan's plan. Like it just, it's craziness, it, it, and it doesn't gel with Christianity and how they claim to, to be Christian. I don't know. Like they, they, they just stole Jesus is basically what they did and adopted it to whatever Joseph Smith went along. They teach that, that the Father, Son, and the Spirit are not one being but three separate beings. There's three – like there's just all these things that don't gel with Christianity, and it all started with a spirit visiting this guy and telling him, hey, here's what God really wants for you. The last one I'm going to talk about is one you probably haven't heard of. Um, it's a guy named Hong Kwan, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. He's a, he's a Chinese name, so, um, but he was a guy who lived in the 1800s as well. Uh, he was in China, um, and he had uh, he, he kind of had a, a miserable life. Uh, there, I, he tried to take an imperial test to be employed by the emperor of China at the time. Um, and he failed it. And after the third time, he kind of had a, a nervous breakdown kind of deal. And he had a visit from uh, an angel. He, he was given a, a vision of heaven, basically. And when he was there, he saw uh, God, a, a God person. And then he had a heavenly brother and a heavenly uncle and heavenly this, heavenly that. Um, and later, somebody gave him Christian pamphlets. I believe it was his actual you know, earthly brother, and he decided that, oh, this is what this was, that Jesus was his older brother and that he was being called to establish this offshoot of Christianity in China. And so he started what's called the Taiping Rebellion, um, and he led a war uh, that lasted from 1850 to 1864 and resulted in 20 to 30 million dead across every province but one in China all in the name of Jesus. And the things that he taught were very anti-Christian. They were very, they, they, they didn't affirm the core beliefs of Christianity. So when we read this short six verses or whatever in, in 1 John, it's important that we take it seriously. Um, I'm not saying that you necessarily are going to have a visit from a spirit, but I'm saying that, that these forces out there are trying to do exactly this, and they've been very successful at it. Um, and so that gets me kind of like the first part of this, the, the context of what we're talking about here. It's spiritual warfare, right? So what it, John here talks about spirits. There are spirits out there who are from the anti-Messiah or anti-Christ, which was we talked about in previous weeks is just anything that denies Jesus. That is from this, this anti-Christ, anti-spirit, and that there is a one son of lawlessness described in 2 Thessalonians. Um, that's kind of the source of it all, him and Satan himself. So, so what are they? What are demons? What are Satan? Well, according to the Bible, um, there was a division amongst angels in heaven. Angels are created beings. The word angel just means messenger. These were beings designed to work for God in his realm in heaven and be the messengers to our realm, earth, you know, go back and forth between the two. Um, and they're spiritual beings. You know, they're not necessarily physical beings. 
And so uh, Satan was kind of like the top dog. And we're reading, you know, we get like this much information here. So a lot of this is just kind of filling in the blanks. But basically, um, we, we understand that there was an angel named Satan, Lucifer. Satan is just a job title name, really, not really a proper name. But anyways, uh, and he decides to lead a rebellion against God for whatever reason. It's typically attributed to pride that he thought he could be God better. Regardless, uh, he convinced a third of the angels in heaven to rebel with him against God. And when you fight against God, you lose. And so he lost. Uh, And they were excluded from heaven. They were sent from heaven um, to earth. And God created a place uh, for those rebellious angels called hell. Um, And that's why it exists. So as far as when and where, that's a whole other lesson we get into it. But regardless, they have lost the war. And so right now they're really just trying to spoil God's rescue plan, right? God's rescue plan is to save us from sin, from corruption, from being separate from God. God wants to create a people for himself and a place he created for them in his presence. And and Satan is just trying to ruin that. Satan and his his minions, demons, are trying to ruin that. Um, and they do that through three real means. Now, the most, uh, I don't know what the right word for it is, the, the one that gets the most attention is possession, um, where these these angels will take possession of a human being and just torture them. And we read about it throughout the Bible um, where, where this happens, where, where people are being possessed by an angel and it's a demon, you know, that's what a demon is, but a demon and it's, it's just torturing them. They're, they're miserable. Um, they're, they're just, it's, it's not a pleasant thing. Um, that is the most obvious um, way that they, they, they operate. I and mean, it doesn't happen a whole lot anymore in the West. Um, I personally think it's just because if they're that obvious in what they're doing, uh, it would cause people to, to refocus on the spiritual world. So, you know, we don't see that as much anymore. The second way is oppression. And this is, they aren't possessing somebody, but they are oppressing them. They are causing fits, uh, whether it's physical ailments, um, you know, diseases, it could be mental issues, it could be, you know, those kind of things. It, it is an oppression. They aren't quite possessing the person, but they are oppressing them, uh, causing them to struggle with, with a lot. And this is the one that, that gets ignored a lot. Um, and I don't think every case of mental illness is this either. So you know, don't, don't take that. But that, this is the way they operate. And the third way is influence. They're influencing our lives. And so a lot of times um, th- issues that we have are, are demonically influenced to try to separate us from God, to separate us from each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like that's their goal. They want to separate God's people from each other and they want to separate humanity from God. Um, and so a lot of times, like, the, the enemies that we face aren't necessarily our enemies. They're simply the pawns of a greater enemy. Um, and so that's, that's, that's kind of the rundown of spiritual warfare in a very, very quick overview. Um, that deserves multiple lessons on its own. But John addresses this. He says, should we be afraid of this spiritual enemy? Um, and without Jesus... Absolutely. Like, as, as just humans, we, we don't stand a chance against them. In Acts 19, there's a story of these Jewish exorcists who weren't Christians at all and just decided to do exorcisms using Paul's name and Jesus' name. And in Acts 19, we see that they, they encounter a, a, a demon, and the demon says, I know Jesus, and I've heard of Paul, but I don't know who you are, and then went about and beat up all these exorcists uh, because they had no power, because they, were, they, didn't, they didn't affirm Jesus himself. They were just using his name to try to, to set these people free. Um, 
but but it kind of summarizes how our stance against demons is is on our own without Jesus we're nothing we don't stand a chance they're smarter than us they've they're eternal in a sense like they they've lasted forever they've been around for generations they they, they they're smarter than us they're more powerful we don't stand a chance on our own. however John tells us in verse four that we are from God and we have overcome them because the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Because we have the Spirit of God within us, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that Spirit is greater than those spirits. It's greater than those angels. It's greater than Satan. They've already lost the war. They can't beat that Spirit. They can't overcome it. And so with Jesus, we have nothing to fear. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't influence our lives. They won't make a mess of things. They can't, that they won't physically hurt us with a, a disease or an oppression. Like, those things can't happen. But in the end, nothing can separate us from the hand of God, right? Like, we are in God's hand and nothing can remove us from it. So, really, they can't touch us. Like, they can kill us, but they can't touch us because we know we're going to spend eternity as God's people in the place he creates for us in his presence. So, you know, and, and we can trust in that, and we can trust in God's strength and not our own to overcome this spiritual warfare. Um, that being said, in the stories that we looked at at the beginning, these these demons, they, they, they attacked not through aggressive, scary kind of means. They, they lied. They showed up as beautiful beings trying to, to make convince these people that, hey, God, I'm from God. Listen, I'm from God. And then they, John was saying that there are preachers and teachers out there, prophets, people who deliver messages from God, who are out there teaching things, claiming they're being from God. But are they? And that's where John's really, we really get into what we're talking about today is how can we tell those apart? How can we tell if a preacher is really from God, if he's teaching the right things? How can we tell if we encounter a spirit? I mean, it, it doesn't happen as often, uh, but it, it you may encounter, how can we tell? Verses 2 and 3 give us the answer pretty blunt. It says, this is how we know God's spirit. Every spirit that agrees that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This spirit is actually the spirit of the anti-Messiah or antichrist. And you have heard that it was coming and now is already in the world. So the spirit of the, the son of lawlessness from 2 Thessalonians, this, this one big bad who is going to lead the world astray, make himself a deity, um, his spirit's already at work in the world and has been for 2,000 years, right? Jesus was our last great prophet, right? He was the prophet. He was our last one. He was the last warning. Ever since then, it's been end times. We're building up to it. All right, so the whole, like, is this the end? You know, that debate, that happens quite a bit, you know, especially on internet message boards. Don't pay attention to it because the answer is yes, this is the end. And it has been for 2,000 years and who knows how much longer we have. But Jesus was our last great signpost, our last great warning that, hey, the end is coming. Might as well be ready, okay? Um, and so how do we tell them apart? Well, do they affirm orthodox doctrine? Now, I've used that word several times, orthodox here, and I want to make sure you understand what I mean by it. Orthodox, is, I'm not talking about Greek orthodox or Russian orthodox or, you know, Asian orthodox. Like, I'm not talking about a brand of Christianity. The word orthodox means right doctrine. And essentially, Christianity kind of came together and said, this is the core things that we all believe. And the vast majority of Christians today agree on these things, 
right? Orthodox belief. It was really what the church in Rome believed is kind of what said. And, and you know, again, even across the, 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 the Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Asian Orthodox Church, the Coptic Church, like they all pretty much agree on these core things. Now, it's the ex, ex, extra things beyond that that we have some issues with and disagreements on. But essentially what the Roman Church of the first and second century agreed on is really what we consider Orthodox doctrine. And so what is that? Well, number one, we believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God, that he is eternal. He has no beginning or end, that he is part of the Trinity, the three persons of God, that they are one and they are three in one, that none of them have a beginning or an end, and that they are in perfect community as one being but three persons, Um, that he came as a man, fully man, fully flesh, fully physical, but still being fully divine, and that he lived a perfect life. That he didn't break any of God's standards. He lived a life perfectly according to God's standards. And at the end of his life, he was executed. And that execution was a perfect sacrifice for all of humanity. And that his death paid for the sins of all humanity. And his resurrection affirmed that. So three days after his death, on the third day, he rose from the grave. Forty days later, after presenting himself to several hundred witnesses, including his apostles. He went to the heavenly realm. He went to heaven to prepare things for us in the same way uh, first century Jewish wedding, the, the bride and the groom, once they're betrothed, they separate for a period before they come back together to get married. And that coming back together period will be the, the, the resurrection day, the, the judgment day. That is when Jesus comes back and he will judge the living and the dead. And then God's people will spend eternity as his people in the place that he creates for them in his presence directly. That is Orthodox Christianity. Pretty much all of us agree on those things. Some other things, we've got some, some, some variants there, right? And we'll talk about that in a second. So the first thing that we could do to test if a spirit or a teacher is truly from God is do they believe those things? Do they teach those things? Do they teach that God, Jesus was a created being? That's, that's not Christianity. Do they teach that, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are three separate beings that, are, that aren't one God, but three? That's not Christianity. Do they teach that Jesus wasn't really flesh? That's not Christianity. Do they teach that it wasn't him who actually died, but you know, the person he was? That's not Christianity. If it doesn't gel with those things that we listed, then that's not Christianity. So the other part of it is, especially with the human element, is are, are the, the action side of it, right? So they can agree on all those things, but like we talked about last week, it has to show up in the actions of their lives. And so are they bearing fruit in their lives? You know, in verse 219, are they committed to a body of believers? Are they part of a church? Or are they just trying to do it on their own? That, that's a big red flag if they're not. Are they living a Christian lifestyle, you, you can't live a sinful lifestyle and, and be somebody who is from God. And what's the fruit of their ministries look like? What, what fruit are they bearing in, in the world around them as they teach? These are all things we have to look at. It starts with the right doctrine. That's the quickest uh, litmus test to see if they truly are from God. Same as if, you know, Christianity, brother to brother, person to person. But if it's a spirit or a prophet or a preacher, you know, do they, do they line up with orthodox doctrine? And are there, do their lives line up with the Bible? 
Um, and, you know, th this is just to put us back into this, the first century. You know, this is, these are things that John was dealing with, those Gnostic doctrines that were starting to develop into the world around him. You know, the people teaching that Jesus wasn't actually physical, he wasn't actually flesh, or that he didn't actually die, that he was just, you know, possessing a dude named Jesus, or that he was a created being. You know, like, you know, th these are issues that were, were true back then and they're true today. And so does that mean we can't have variety in our doctrine? No. You know, our movement, the Restoration Movement, uh, we were founded on the principle that, that we're not going to have all these extra creeds that add in where the Bible, like where the Bible is silent, we'll be silent. There's liberty in those places, you know. Calvinism, Arminianism, we don't care. Like, come to your conclusion. Like, you know, those debates, like those things that aren't, don't counteract orthodox doctrine, there's liberty in those because your faith and your, your theology should constantly be growing. Like if you are exactly the same today as you were a year ago, 10 years ago, doctrinally, theologically, you're, you're not growing. Your faith is dying. There's no such thing as staying the same. Your faith is dying. You have to continually be evaluating and studying and, and growing in your faith. So we have liberty in those areas outside of the orthodox doctrines. But within those doctrines, there's no variance there. So I hope this, this week was, was helpful to you. Hopefully it was eye-opening um, and will help you understand a little bit better the way the world around us operates. Um, if you have any questions, as always, reach out. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.